Welcome to Dropping at the Movies. I'm Mike. And I'm Jose. And we're talking about The French Connection today, the uh, 1971 action thriller by William Friedkin. We're doing a, a bunch of Friedkin films after we did Bug recently. I'd never seen this before. It won all the Oscars. It won Best Picture, Best Actor for Gene Hackman. It won Best Director for Friedkin, Best Film Editing, Best Adapted Screenplay for uh, Ernest Tideman. And it was nominated for Best Supporting Actor for Roy Scheider, Best Cinematography, and Best Sound Mixing. This was a big awards movie, yeah. and it won the lot. What's your history with it? You, you must have seen, you've seen this before, clearly. I've seen it before. I mean, it's one of those films that I was too young to see when I came out in the cinema. Mm. I think it's almost like I date my film-going life to, like, 1976-77, because, you know, that's when you turned 14 and you could go... Yeah, watch films on your own. Mm. Uh, so I was too young to see it. And actually, it's one of those films that I never saw until, I don't know, about three or four years ago I saw it, actually. Uh, and I saw French Connection 1 and French Connection 2. Oh, right. Um, which, which is also really good. Um, and I, th- I suppose my response to it is, I think the first time I saw it, I saw it because the chase sequence is, the chase scene, is one of the most famous chase scenes of all time. And I was a bit unimpressed with that, actually. Oh, right, okay. Uh, Yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong, I thought it was was good. (laughs) But, you know, we've seen a lot of chase scenes since. Mm. (laughs) And, um, you know, I didn't think it was so, like, you know, extraordinary, as people said. So, I... I was I was much more observant watching it last night because I didn't go into it with any ideas in mind. Mm. So actually, there were other things that I noticed, you know, that um, sparked my interest more than the chase sequence. Though, well, I'm wondering whether to tell you this now or wait before <laughs> I, until I hear what you thought. Oh wait, what did you think? Yeah, I was surprised at how bored I was for a long time. Um, and ah. then in the last, I suppose it's after the, about the hour mark, is when that chase sequence happens and things start kicking up. And um, I started to get really into it. And I really liked the chase sequence. I, I thought it was I thought it was really, really well put. I knew it was iconic. And I think I might have seen clips of it before. I mean, think about the, the camera on the bonnet of the car, weaving between traffic, and you've got the elevated train line above you know that, that's really iconic and I've seen bits and pieces of that before but I've never seen the thing entirely and I thought it was great and I loved I love the accidents that he has in it which I was reading that apparently like they were genuine accidents he's supposed to have these near misses and mm. they just kept fucking it up <laughs> but kept it in the film and I thought you know when do you actually see that when do you see car ex- like car crashes in films are these big deals you know mm. they're not here you know in this mm. he, he sideswipes a car turns around and keeps going you know, there's something kind of um, anarchic about it. Like, and it kind of fits the character, I suppose. He's, he's this character who will cause chaos in the end mm. of getting his man, getting the thing done. Um, I, I sort of, I suppose, didn't really follow the plot for a long time. I mean, I was, I was kind of... I don't know if it's full of holes or if it's not that interesting or whatever the reason was, but I was just kind of going, okay, so the, like the, the opening kind of salvo in France 
where the guy's walking home with his French bread and you you, you know it's France because of that. And he gets shot on the stairs. You never find out who that guy is or why. It's just a thing that happens, right? There's kind of there's a few things that seem to happen like that. That oh, are. I didn't. I didn't have any problem with that. The two detectives, and particularly the Gene Hackman character, um, pursuing this case, is always kind of less about actually getting heroin off the streets. It's about this heroin deal that they're trying to stop, and it's always less about what's right, and it's more about just getting the bad guy and doing because that's kind of what you do. I suppose in some respects, it has a similarity. I was thinking about to um, the Melville films we were talking about, and I was kind of observing oh. with Melville that these people do what they do because that's just who they are, and they the legal purpose behind what they're doing is not so interesting. It's more about who they are inside. That seems to be the case with Gene Hackman. I think there's a whole... I think Melville's films are, like, a million times superior to this. Well, I'm not comparing them in terms of quality or anything like that. I'm just saying I think that's actually a similarity. There's some... It seems to go for a kind of existential... Okay, well, I'm going to reveal what the quote that I didn't tell you. So I was looking to Wikipedia, and uh, there was a quote there from Pauline Kael, who didn't like the film... Mm. You know, not because she didn't think it was it was not good. She thought, like, you know, it is very, it's a very good film. Hmm. But she says, uh, you know, but I don't like it because, you know, this is this is what we feared, what we once feared movies would become. And I think it's true because, you know, I was thinking afterwards, so what is the film about? What is it telling you? What is it telling you about these people? And what is it telling you about this world? You know, what point of view is it conveying about, you know, humanity or whatever. And actually, the thing about film noirs or, you know, some of the best action films is that they do, you know, and sometimes they do it visually or they do it through the action or, you know, I think kind of, you know, Melville does it in all kinds of ways, right? Like in the way that he that he composes his frames, really. Um, but I, I was trying to think about that in relation to this film. And actually, I liked so much about it. Like, I, you know, I loved... Uh, Hackman uh, and, and we can talk about all this I have a whole series of ideas on that actually but you know when I was when I was thinking what is the film about yeah I actually kind of couldn't come up with an answer you know so it has like this terrific noir lighting but it isn't really about a corrupt world yeah it isn't a world in which power rules it isn't I'm trying to think of all you know it isn't about unleashed sexuality or like you know, or repressed sexual... I mean, so many of the themes of, like, film noir, this film is not about them, right? And then you think, well, what is what is it about? I, I, sp- I mean, I suppose I would say I feel like it's about a kind of harshness and brutality in the world, as opposed to as opposed to an injustice, which I think might be more where you go with, with kind of classic noir. Um, there's, there's something about New York in this that is harsh and brutal and... There's something, there's something in Hackman's character where he enjoys brutalising minorities. Yes. Um, kind of for the sheer fun of it. You know, you were talking yes. about how Hackman, how Friedkin has this interest in kind of under underworlds or the mm. underbelly of of cities. And you get that sense where when Hack, Hackman kind of has this interest in going into these underbellies and damaging them and, and, and kind of taking them over and imposing his will upon them because he can and because these are kind of lawless places already, he can do what he wants. Yeah, um, him being handcuffed in bed yeah. is like a really interesting um, 
uh, connection to all of that. Yeah, and you know, right at the end when they when they're chasing the uh, the baddies um, into the sort of disused factory where the kind of shootout happens climactically, he shoots an FBI officer, and Scheider says, "Oh, this is Merkin or whatever his name was," and he just goes on like Hackman doesn't care. You know, doesn't show any remorse. Well, just goes on, shoot is, someone else. It is the guy who's been in the back seat, bullying and making fun of him, like you know, during the whole of the film. So I wouldn't shed a tear over him either. <laughs> well, I'm not shedding a tear, but you know, he's, he shot an FBI guy. That's really not his job. <laughs> you yes, know? no, it's true. I mean, <laughs> but those are things that make the film more interesting in a way, not less. Except that they aren't consistent and they aren't pattern, mm. right? Like I don't think the film is about that. Yeah, so the film is not about, you know, people like Gene Hackman who take the law in their own hands and are vigilantes the way that Eastwood's Dirty Harry was, yeah. right? I mean, you could say that Dirty Harry is about that and about the glory of that, but this film isn't about that. I mean, it's almost like, you know, the Popeye Doyle has contradictions, but actually they're never worked through in a systemic way throughout the film that I can gather. No, well, I suppose I, I think that it's about a tone um, of sort of meaninglessness. Um, and I suppose you get... Like, do you feel like you're supposed to like Doyle? Yeah. Do you feel like you're supposed to like him? Well, actually, so one of the things that I noticed, because I, you know, I grew up with Gene Hackman being a very big star, like not one of the huge box office stars, you know, but he was always a star. Uh, and he was considered a kind of a star character actor. And there's lots of commentary about, you know, how he was only a star character actor because he wasn't good looking enough to be a star. And actually, I you see him here, and I thought he was very sexy, very, like really <laughs> attractive, you know. I think kind of, yeah, people's notions of what is attractive are very restrictive. They think only someone like Brad Pitt is attractive. In fact, some people might not think Brad Pitt is attractive at all, really. You know, either you know the way that he moves, you know, and the way that his body is, uh, you know, is very attractive. I think, uh, and also you know the way that he's dressed and you know kind of the thing about the hat that was a look, right? Mm. Uh, so I think he's very he's very sexy and he's very attractive. And I'm not at all surprised that he became a big star with this film. Yeah, this mm. is the film that, I mean, he became known earlier, but this is the film that made him a star, yeah? Uh, and it's completely understandable why that is. So I loved his performance in it. But are you supposed to like the character of Doyle for what he does, the way he behaves? I get the impression that you are, but I didn't. Is that because the film's not made for me? Times have changed? Uh... I think you're supposed to delight in how he abuses people, takes control of situations, behaves erratically, that sort of thing. And ultimately, he's the cop with the hunches who that turn out to be right. Yeah. You know. Well, I don't, I don't like it, but I also think that the film is very inconsistent about that, mm. right? So, you know, he's a cop who is upholding the law, yet is breaking all of them. But the film doesn't underline it as a moment of heroism or, mm. you know, breaking the law to get justice done. It's not, the film doesn't yeah. deal with any of that, you know. So that's why I think, you know, that in many ways, the film maybe is not about that. I think maybe the film is about the car chase. Right? 
Yeah. Uh, do you yeah, think the film which... then? Do you think the film is presenting him? Uh, I suppose sort of non-judgmentally, or with you know, without that kind of direction as to how you should feel, in order to allow kind of a, a range of responses. No, I mean, I, I, you know, the film is based on real people. Mm. They're real people that Friedkin had dealings with, I believe. Right. So I think there's no question that uh, you are meant to admire uh, them and also bemoan. Yeah. So because the thing is, the film has that coda at the end where it says, well, this person didn't serve any jail time at all. That one got a suspended sentence. That Mm -hmm. one. It seems that the person who was most punished was the television star who in the film seems to do the least (laughs) <laughs> yeah. yeah, he agrees to take a car to France and he doesn't know what, what's in it or anything, you know. So, and he's the one who gets the biggest jail sentence at the end. So, I think that is a comment, yeah, that is a commentary, mm. you know. Uh, so, I think you're meant to admire, um, but I don't. And then you're meant to bemoan. And then it seems to me, kind of, yeah, the film is almost wanting, you know. Maybe it's a countercultural thing of the period, yeah. Um, that you know the law doesn't work, um, but then why are you meant to you know <laughs> to to admire what Popeye Do- Doyle does? I mean, you are meant to be with him. Yeah, sure. I think I think so. Yeah, yeah, and there are, there are many things that make me uncomfortable. I mean, you know, this is almost like a kind of. Uh, uh, a white supremacist film. I mean, some of the some of the scenes now play really badly. I think, you know, those scenes in the black clubs, right? Mm. Like, because also, you know, they're not meant to indicate police brutality, or to indicate how black people suffer under police brutality. I mean, they they are meant to indicate a little kind of, you know, the way that Doyle does business and gets things done. Yeah, mm. you know, that's I think what they're meant to indicate. But that sits very uncomfortably with me, at least now, you know. Yeah, and again, I think that's kind of, it, it may be like a sign of the times, like that's something that you're clearly supposed to, I think you're, I think you're supposed to laugh at it, actually. I think you're supposed to laugh yes. at, with him. I mean, to show, to show a black club in which he asks people to empty their pockets and every single person, you know, has drugs in their pocket. Every single yeah. black person in that club has drugs in their pocket. I mean, come on. <laughs> right? Like, uh, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and I suppose I was kind of thinking, you know, how did this play in 1971, right? That's really the difference. I mean, there's a, I think there's a huge difference between the way this would have played in a cinema in 1971, in, in New York especially, you know, because it's so about New York. New York is so identifiable with this film. It's totally in, in, inseparable. And the thing is, now I'm watching it on a laptop in England in 2020. Yeah, it's not the same. No, but I mean, we know that the film played incredibly well. It it wasn't just like a hit. It was like a Godfather style hit. Yeah, it was like a sociological phenomenon type hit. Right. So, you know. Let's say if a, if a hit now is a, a film that does $150 million, well, this would be the equivalent of an Avengers-style, you know, $700 million type hit, yeah? We can look at the statistics later, but I think it was like the number one or two film of its year. And, you know, if you look at the films at number one and two, if you look at what it grossed, and then you look at the next film, it's like the next film probably grossed half of it, yeah? I mean, it was a huge, enormous success. Have you found the figure? The figure 
from Box Office Mojo says $51 million. There you go. Yeah, it, it was one of those enormous, enormous hits. Yeah, mm. It's one of those films that people saw several times. So I think, you know, to me, uh, uh, my understanding is that, people, you know, audiences loved the film. It was a very popular film. And this was an era as well when actually being one of the highest grossing films of the year was not incompatible with winning awards. You know, yeah. that didn't really happen for a long time. You know, so like that probably happened like in the 2000s that you, you really started to see, well, either you're an awards film or you're a high grossing film. Yes. Which is why I think yeah. they they opened up the best picture nominations to 10 in the last few years because they said, no, we need come on, get more of the popular films back in, please, that people have seen. Yes. Um, yes. You know, so this was, you know, hugely popular and hugely well regarded. And actually, like there's so much about the film that I love. I love the look of it. You know, it looks fantastic. And I think New York is like a whole character in the film, really. Well, to me, so the location is tied to a commentary or a feeling, right? So, you know, it's interesting that the villain is a Frenchman. Well, actually, you know, he is a very big star of the period, uh, really well known in European art cinema, Fernando Rey, Spanish actor. Right, who did a lot of Buñuel's films and who was probably best known for Buñuel's films uh, internationally. Uh, but he comes across as like, you know, very suave and elegant and, you know, smart, actually. You know, it's very interesting to portray this drug baron in those ways, right? Like, you know, he's not out there selling drugs and poisoning people, you know. Yeah, he's, mm. you know, he's an, he's an elegant suave working class man yeah because you're told at the beginning that he worked his way up through the docks mm. yeah and obviously uh, made his money through illegal means so i think there's an interesting contrast there between marseille france you know and america new york right uh and actually everything that you see about marseille um it's, it's almost pretty right like you know, so yes, you have the narrow streets and the cobblestones, and actually, the way that the streets were reminded me a little bit of Madrid. Yeah, <laughs> that it's amazing how how recent, yeah, this new type of sidewalk and so on is. Because mm. you know, I remember Madrid in the eighties, and it had you know, those narrow little kind of sidewalks and the cobblestone you know, streets and so on. So Marseille is shown a little bit like that. Of course, New York is the New York of skyscrapers and so on. But actually, you do see like a lot of garbage, a lot of steam, a lot of... I mean, I would say, yeah. actually, I don't think it is the New York of skyscrapers. It's so ground level, you know. You're under things all the time. You don't see a kind of expanse. The skyscrapers are always in the horizon, though. I know what you mean, mm. actually, because the film also made me think, my God, you know, those brownstone houses... You know, those little diners, I bet you they no longer exist and they've been replaced by some, you know, major housing development or something, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, this was New York at its most run down. Yeah. Kind of the 70s was where New York was at its financial worst. But you do see that, though. You do see, like, the streets are garbage thrown. You do see the steam coming out. Yeah. Of, mm. um, you do see, you're, you're also not in fashionable downtown New York. You're in the outer edges, in the boroughs, or you know the yeah the poorer areas. Um, so anyway, I think it's a New York film for sure. Oh yeah, you know? certainly. Uh, 
And I love the look of it. I mean, I think the film looks beautiful. And one of the things that I uh, wanted to find out, but I didn't get around to it, is I think there's a kind of uh, uh, a Kodak color uh, uh, um, celluloid yeah, mm. uh, uh, that brings out these brilliant ye yellows and these bright reds and... You know, and, and there's something very interesting about the films of the period uh, that kind of have that look where the yellows just pop. Yeah, and this film has it. What does IMDb tell us? I'm just looking at the IMDb, yeah. Um, color Laboratory Deluxe Hollywood Negative Format Eastman 100T5254. Eastman. Eastman, Eastman Color is what it is, I think. Yeah, uh, right. so the films of the period that have it have a particular, yeah, the yellows and the blues and the reds, mm. you know, pop. And actually, it's very interesting because this is really a film noir, right? So it's all like blues, browns, blacks, right? Yeah. So actually, those moments where there's a yellow or a blue or a red really stand out. Yeah, they really pop out of, uh, uh, of it, yeah. Yeah, where I would go in thinking about um, the New York setting is and this goes back to the difference between how it plays 50 years ago now to now is i was thinking about uncut gems the safety brothers film we saw last year oh yes yeah um yes. because that's set in new york and that's kind of i suppose you could say that's pretty ground level in the way that this is you yes. know and it's about kind of underground things um and the level of tension that's kept up in uncut gems is you know, you maybe have never felt anything quite like that before. It's it's so high, and, and I know you you sort of said, "Oh God, I couldn't really cope with it." <laughs> I loved it. Mm. Is that how the French Connection would have felt in nineteen seventy one? Like, is it just that we've kind of changed, and what was tense then feels less so now? The thing is that a lot of things about the film still made me feel that way. So, for example, when Roy Scheider goes to Gene Hackman's apartment. I thought, my God, that looks like a bunker. Is that really how people lived? Yeah, <laughs> are those like the way that real apartments in New York look like, right? Because you're not used to seeing that, that them that way. You're used to seeing, you know, Woody Allen, yeah, uh, rich people apartments, yeah, yeah. Um, so, so, and you know, certainly like the cars drew my attention. I remember those from my childhood, right? And you know the way that people dressed and I. You know, I remember seeing the, the nightclub sequences thinking, of course, it makes sense that people still wore beehives, you know, when they went out to posh places because, you know, normal people are always three or four years out of style. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, because I associate beehives with mid-60s or, you know, hmm. 67 or something. Right. But here, the yeah, the... It takes the, a while the, for the fashion to filter down the class structure. Yes. So yeah. I thought the film was kind of, it, it made me think in those registers, even though obviously it's a very contrived uh, film, yeah? You know, it's very stylized and, and mm. so on, right? But it, it did make me, um, it did make my mind operate in those registers, which most movies don't call upon. You know, right. mean, watching most films, you don't think, oh, you know, like, is this how kitchens look, you know, in Paris today? You know, you don't think that. Yeah. <laughs> um, I really love the look of the film. I think, you know, it. I mean, one of the things about 
Friedkin, which hopefully will come up in the rest of his films. But, you know, just from having seen Boys in the Band and Cruising is how he is drawn to darkness, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, Boys in the Band has a lot of wit, but actually it's a really depressing, dismal film. Uh, Cruising, again, the look, is um, it is a noir. It's like it's shot in color, but, you know, you could almost feel the black and whiteness of it, really. Uh, and kind of very similar uses of lighting to this uh, film. Yeah, and again, you know, this is a film about kind of an underworld, really. It's about cops operating to bust uh, what they think is going to be a, a not a drug ring, the, imp the import of, you know, the most dangerous drug of the period, yeah, into New York that had been relatively free of it until the film begins, right? So that's what they're trying to stop. So the world that you see is that world of low-level police investigations, hmm. yeah, with a shortage of money, uh, yeah, the places that those people live, bars, lots of bars, right? Uh, because one of the things about Popeye Doyle is that he's meant to be a bit of an alky and a bit of a lost person, and, you know, he's got no girlfriend, and, yeah, and also he's not that young, yeah, so, hmm. yet some, you, you, you are meant to think of somebody who's a bit lost in life, yeah? Um, yeah. But I still go back to that question of Pauline Kael's, yeah, that this is what we feared films would become, i.e. that it, it is only about that look, you know, and the sensation. It's like, you know, a, mm. a good-looking chase film, yeah? Or is it more? This is becoming symptomatic of a lot of Friedkin's films, I think, right. you know, and it has, because, you know, if you look at Melville's films, which I'm glad you brought them up, because in many ways they, they have similarities, you know, but you, you get a sense of an ache in those films, of a, you know, of a loneliness that's oppressive and of moral ambiguities and complexities that the characters themselves are aware about, uh, you know, aware of, and that, you know, they question existence and the point of life and, you know, they're bewildered by it. You never get any of that with the Gene Hackman character, or I don't. No, no, not at all. And, like, it's, it's as though, like, he's someone who could ask those questions... The thing about Freakin is he doesn't show you those moments in between. So when you see Doyle, you always see Doyle acting. Yeah, you never see like Doyle, like the Alain de Delon character in The Samurai, just smoking in his flat, <laughs> right? Like, what does what does this person do in between his job? Yeah, it's yeah. Like, well, that's kind of the impression you get, isn't it? Like that he there is nothing else. It is just the job, and it's it's portrayed almost as there's a kind of obsession element to it. And when you get to the stripping down the car at the end, he's the one who's saying, no, it's in here. It's definitely in here. And keeping yeah. them there long, like everyone else wants to go home, basically say, no, we've, you know, it's, it's yeah. not in here. He's the one who pushes them and eventually they figure out where it is. Um, and that's kind of what it's all about. And, and so there is, there is definitely a kind of ambiguity in, in how I feel about his character in that he is a horrible, racist, disgusting person. Mm. Um, but the but ultimately he gets the result. He's the guy again, like I say, with the hunch that pays off. Mm. Um, you know, which is which is a, a there's something kind of uncomfortable about. Um, are you supposed to question his racism, or is it actually, or is it something that like um, you know he's racist because it gets a job done, and actually you need to be, and actually you know like oh well he might he might be racist, 
but then all the black people do have drugs on them, so he was right. You know. <laughs> and then that points to Friedkin's and the screenwriter's racism. You yeah. know, the very idea that like that that could be, yeah, uh, that all black black people are drug dealers and on drugs, is really quite as- astonishing. Um, so, unlike you, I wasn't bored. You know, I think it's a really good film. Yeah, like kind of, you know, it's beautiful to look at. It moves incredibly well. You know, it's like a well-oiled machine. You know, he's clearly got a fantastic visual sense. There were moments in the film that I thought were beautifully handled that create tension, you know, just through camera movement and cutting. Yeah, like, Mm. you know, so uh, it's almost like it it gives you a first-person point of view on being startled or being surprised. Yeah, and it's done through camera movement. It's really, really good. Um, you know, so he's obviously like a person with great technique, you know, but I do think it doesn't add up too much or it doesn't add up to to enough for me. Yeah. Well, if we think about the aesthetic, because because I said I was bored for a while and I was, I was bored for basically a majority of the first sort of two thirds of the film. And once it starts getting more actiony, I liked it more. And mm-hmm. I think the action kind of set pieces are put together really brilliantly. I think especially it's not the car chase is great. I think, but Gene Hackman stalking Fernando Ray on and off the train yes. is brilliant, and it's witty, oh, and it's well timed, yes. and it's yes. well shot. You know, like he steps off in the background, so he steps off in the foreground, then he steps back off in the background, and he's gone. Yes. It's great, and, and that's a brilliant. And you know, the whole time, like, of course he's made him. Of course, this guy who's walking around pretending to be on the phone, pretending to get a grape juice. Of course, Fernando Ray sat in the background, knows who he is the whole time, and he's just waiting for his moment. It's perfect. And there were times when I thought, I thought actually, one of the reasons that I found myself bored with this is because this has become such a style that I'm already used to before having even seen the film, because it is so iconic, and because this is where these looks were kind of being established. And I was thinking about the, a short film that I made. You may have seen it, the running one, where Matt's running through Birmingham. No, I haven't seen that. All right, I'll show it to you. Um, and it's only like three or four minutes, and it's set to a piece of music, and it's just Matt running through Birmingham, and I, I, I filmed it, and uh, it was mostly me editing it, I think. Matt might take offence to that. Um, but, um, <laughs> but, the, but we were kind of shooting like on the fly, basically, like, you run here, then I'll follow you, and so on and so forth. And I never thought I was inventing kind of a visual style when I was making or anything like that. We were just trying to make something fun, and I was trying to pick shots that were cool and kind mm. of linked together well. Um, and then I watched this... And I go, just just with the way that Gene Hackman is filmed crossing the street and walking between traffic, you get this sense of the the space that he's in. You understand where he is and where everything else is around him. We've talked about um, yeah. kind of geographical sense of place in films an awful lot. You definitely get that in the chases and in the uh, set pieces, this sense of knowing exactly where people are in relation to each other, which helps sort it out. Because that's something that I was trying to do when I was making this short thing. Mm. And so... And I watched it going, I was making, there were so many shots in the French Connection that I kind of recognised having stolen, basically, in that thing mm. without realising it. And it's not because I was consciously stealing from anything, but it's because actually this is where this style is made iconic and has filtered into everything. So even though I've not seen the French Connection from beginning to end before, the style is there inside my head. I know it, you know, mm. before I've even That's seen it. There were two things that really caught my eye as characteristic of the period, yeah? Mm. Uh, one was the handheld camera, yeah? yeah, kind of, you know, which must be a very early use of it 
to 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 make it such a such a component of the film's style. Yeah, there's lots of handheld camera and there's lots of zoom. Yeah, yeah, yeah I know. <laughs> you know, which is so characteristic of the period. Yeah. Mm. Uh, uh, so uh, that surprised me because also, I mean, the, the handheld camera. I'm not sure if it's actually somebody holding a camera in their hands, um, but. Yeah, it's it wobbles a lot, it jerks a lot. It yeah, you get the feeling that there's mm. someone there with the camera. Mo- yeah, and obviously it's before the development or the invention of the Steadicam. Yeah, so so the filming on the streets like that, uh, and that's why you also get those interesting shots of the camera on the roof of the car. Yeah, or yeah, uh, uh, yeah, on the bumper. Because, yeah, uh, so 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 the film is a very early and characteristic example of techniques that would become completely standardized in a little while yeah yeah and i don't know enough about the kind of period and about the the sort of style i suppose to say whether it like it's the originator but it certainly seems to be where these this has become kind of entrenched and iconic and this is where you know it from you know maybe yeah do you think um i suppose this is my last thing um do you think it looks like a cheap film? No, I don't. You know, I think it looks like like a, a, a glossy, expensive film. <laughs> glossy might be the wrong word because it's not a glossy film. It's shot on location and so on, you know, but every shot looks like it's fully realized. Mm. Right? And the images have a texture and a depth. They've been thought through. They've been lit carefully and beautifully. You know, I think... You know the zooms have been calculated. Even you know the the handheld camera has been calculated. You know you get the, you get the feeling that this has been this is a film that's made with means to achieve something that actually was achieved. So that's not my problem with the film at all. My problem is the conceptualization. You know, I so 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 I think Friedkin achieved what he wanted. It's a brilliantly realized film. But for me, it's a kind of insufficient. It's a low aspiration type of <laughs> cinema in a way. It's a yeah. It's a film that is surfaces that you try to think beyond yeah what it what it is about, and you and you get nowhere. Yeah, it's kind of you know it is about that chase and it is about that kind of cop, you know. And actually, it's conveying views that are a bit dodgy. It doesn't have a great conceptualization of human beings or society yeah and it's not trying to tell you very much about about that you know mm. so i think it's a film of 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 of, a, of limited aspirations in which you feel the filmmakers don't themselves see those limitations yeah interesting and yet it, it won best picture so yes you know why was that did people see more under the surface than you thought or was it speaking to something that was in the zeitgeist or you know you said it was kind of a sociological phenomenon the way it was received and seen yes. you know, but i think it's also of... i think it's also very good well yeah yeah, yeah that's true it's you know good. so i mean you know it's technically kind of brilliant really i mean and some of the things that Friedkin achieves, I think, are phenomenal. I mean, you talked about the, the chase sequence, but I think almost every all the other things that we talked about, the creation of suspense and tension, you know, through formal means, I mean, that is all amazing. Mm. But, and you know, I feel this way a little bit about Spielberg as well, yeah? That, you know, there's this amazing technique without much, you know, to say, or without much knowledge about, uh, uh, you know, people 
uh, and and places or indeed history, you know, in spite of what he's made. Uh, mm. And I I just feel a little bit a little bit like that with this film. Yeah, that you know, I mean, to me, the Popeye Doyle character isn't a character with depth. You know, the police uh, enforcement of it isn't complex enough. You know, even uh, you know the the Fernando Rey character, like you know, he's all elegant. He could be an arrest an aristocrat, yet he's also meant to be a dock worker who earned his fortune through illegal means. So where's the roughness or the killer instinct or you know what you expect someone like that to? It's not there, right? So so. It's interesting because she's the one who got me to think about it, really, mm. because I thought, I mean, I saw the film again yesterday. And I thought, oh, this is so good. You know, it's like, <laughs> you know, it looks smashing. And, you know, I loved Hackman. And isn't he sexy? And, you know, those that use of color and the noir aspect, I thought all that was wonderful. You know, and then kind of when I read that thing, this is what we feared films would become. Yeah, this is w so this is what when we were young, we feared films might become. And I think it's true. Yeah, it is all about car crashes and mechanical excitements, the creation of mechanical excitements, you know, uh, and and surface pleasures, you mm. know. So uh, uh, now, obviously, I'm using this, you know, surface depth model um, to apply to this film. But, uh, you know, kind of, yes, but I would, because actually some of the films that are seen to be superficial, like musicals, I think they have enormous depth in their surfaces. Yes, about the way life should be, yeah, and so on. Uh, uh, whereas actually, I, in this film, I'm trying to seek kind of meaning and I'm not finding it. Are you sure it's not just the, the case that the film actually espouses a lack of meaning that you disagree with, that you find you can't sympathise with? The film says life is meaningless. I, You see, maybe, but I think... This is a film that's based on real people. The film goes out of its way to tell you that they're real people, yeah. that this really happened. Yeah, so I, I think the film has a seriousness of purpose that it's not living up to. You know, it's telling you these things. Yeah, it's a real story with real people. Yes, and actually it has that coda about, you know, the injustice of the system that, you know, these crooks, yeah, barely get a suspended sentence or whatever. Mm. So, so I think it, yeah... In its own mind, in the filmmaker's mind, this is not just about car chases. Yeah. But actually, I mean, when you think about it, that coda does feel superficial too, I think. You know. Yes. <laughs> so, I mean, I mean, oh, they, oh, they got away with it. Oh, the justice system is corrupt. Oh, boo-hoo. Like, but, we've, but we've been reveling in a corrupt cop the whole time. Yes. You know. And let me add something, because again, you know, just to make that analogy with the musicals and the musicals being about surfaces... But these musicals about surfaces, or actually sometimes comedies about surfaces, affect you really deeply. Yeah, you feel great emotion, or they're very moving, or mm. yeah. Um, and actually, I, I I didn't feel like this at all with this film. I mean, it was really superficial excitements. Yeah. With me. <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean. Well, you know, but I'm really glad I've seen it. It's one. It's God. I mean, how is it fifty years old? Where's the time go, Jose? <laughs> <laughs> so um 
I hope you stay with us because we've got a whole series of Friedkin films lined up. And I hope you stay with us for those podcasts. I hope, um, I think I'm, I'm also kind of giving the wrong impression because I really enjoyed, yeah, The French Connection. So, yeah, it's just not my idea of a great film. So we may find this to be the case subsequently as well. Who knows? <laughs> Stick around. <laughs> well, it might be like me with the, with the Five Bloods the other day, going, I had a really good time with this. And then you read one review that went, no, actually, it's not all that. And you went, oh, no, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it's important to have high standards. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right, uh, jolly good. All right, so thank you very much uh, for listening. We are eavesdropping at the movies, and we are on. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and YouTube. On social media, we're on Facebook and Twitter, at Eavesdrop Movies. And the website is eavesdroppingatthemovies.com. Thank you very much for listening. Bye-bye.